0: Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and Friends. Dr. Sammy and Friends are resting this week and will return next week. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. We we met at Haven Cafe with with some of our uh, new members, and the cafe manager was like, I never saw a church... uh, with so many young people in my life, I mean, our, I mean, our 180 is basically a church of millennials. Oh boy, <laughs> um, And millennials, historically have a problem with commitment, and, and and their greatest problem is exclusivity. That's like you know giving away the jewel of their own heart. And um, I I think about what 180 will look like as everybody has kids like mine. Well, I hope not. And um, no, I hope you do so you experience the pain of love, but um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, we're, my wife and I are talking about this, like, uh, our Christmas season, we have people fly away everywhere, and for, for churches that celebrate Christmas at the centerpiece of their weekend, it's like supposed to be the, the, the record-breaking attendance. That's one time people go to church, it's Christmas and Easter, right, I mean, but, because our church is so young, everybody goes see their families. Unless if they don't live in New York, they go everywhere else. And you know, I wonder what that look like in the future when you're you're gray, and your kids visit you from college. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine that? That's a retrospective Christmas one day. But uh, but but um, put this picture up. I want to I talk about Christmas for us. You know, you know, yeah, yeah. Don't be deceived. We have our kids now. We thought we had one more day before we were stuck with them for the next 12 days without school. You know, my kids tell me, "Dad, you're so glad we're home all day, aren't you?" <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm very merry about that. Uh, I thought we had one more day apart from them, but no, 23rd they're home. But I I do love my kids. I do. When they're sleeping. Here's Josh with his Christmas pajamas sleeping. And I took a photo and I said, Josh, I love you. And he didn't say anything back. (laughs) This is when I love my kids the most, when they're sleeping. I, I actually don't love my oldest when he's sleeping, because he usually has rap music. He lives, now he lives in the third floor, and I mean, the rap, mu- I mean, I don't know how he could sleep with that kind of bass. Like, literally, the house is shaking. It sounds like, th- I mean, it's like, and my wife's like, Sam, I have a headache. What is that? It's freaking Nathan. It's music upstairs. Starts, I mean, and, and I go up there, and literally, do you, you know when you get REM, and you don't want to get up from bed? I mean, I just got comfortable and sometimes it's hard to sleep, you know, get the right side of the pillow. And you just, and then you hear this bass, doof, 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 upstairs. And, and, and my son is knocked out and it's right, in, his phone is right in front of his face. He can't shut it off. He doesn't have the decency to shut it off. What is wrong with him? I have to shut it off all the time. And all you need to do is just pause Apple Music. Just pause it before you go to sleep. No, but I have to get up, walk up the stairs. Come on, there's 18 stairs. (laughs) And pause it. Love, traditionally misunderstood as people would reduce it to because of the romantic fallacy. A lot of people say, Love is a feeling. Tell someone, love is a feeling. No, it's not. Love is not a feeling. Let me tell you, I have no fuzzy, warm feelings about my kids. Maybe when they sleep. I wanted to kill my son for the base. If Kanye talks about telling someone to run away again, I'm, I'm going to really be mad. I mean, no, love, love is misunderstood as a sentiment, a nostalgia... nostalgia being nostalgic, being butterflies in your stomach. No, love, when reduced of this sentimentality, it's really a commitment. I go turn the music off, I put my kids to bed, I feed them, because I'm committed to them. Do I like them all the time? No. My kids, no. That's why they ask me, Dad, you're happy, we're home. No, love is a commitment. Love is a verb. In a world that thinks love is a feeling, will soon realize that it will drop you like there is nothing. You're gonna experience a spirit of despair you never experienced before if you think love is all about warm, fuzzy feelings. And if you bet your life on that, tell someone you're an idiot. what we do our culture runs on the nostalgic romantic fallacies of love being a feeling love is not a feeling it's a commitment this is what c.s. lewis says about love lewis says love is not an affectionate feeling but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained the famous letter, epistle, apostle Paul writes about love, has 16 characteristics, 16 qualities about what love is. Not once, not one time does Paul talk about feelings. It's the 17th quality if you want to try to add it on. There's 16 qualities that Apostle Paul uses to describe patient, kind. I understand that. Patient, kind. Right? Because people are annoying. You can't just be patient because that would just be tolerating people. How many people tolerate people? Some Raise your hand if you tolerate people all the time. Look at the person next to you. Do you tolerate them? (laughs) Uh, That's not a good marriage if you just tolerate. I just tolerate him. It's patient and kind. There's There's a tenacity to love. There's a Kindness, tenderness to love, but there's also a fierceness, a hardness to love. It's not butterflies. In fact, if butterflies exist and has anything to do with love, it would be in your imaginary garden where the butterfly is so big it'll eat you. Because butterflies and love could only exist in your fantasy. In real life, love, and from a biblical framework, God's love, is contextually embedded in an action, no matter how you feel. Whether you had a crappy day or the best day, love shows up. Tell someone that your love shows up no matter what, love shows up. And that's what we see when we take the holiday sentiment from the nativity and the narrative of this cute fairy tale we tell ourselves. Even before a baby is born, there are a, there, you, you'll see, when the dust clears, you'll see a couple after God's own heart answer a call of God so weighty and so substantial That it literally crushes them. They answer it for their fierce love for God. A couple after God's own heart, Mary and Joseph, answers a call of God for their fierce love of God. When you take the holiday sentiment and the nostalgia away from the nativity, there are no warm, fuzzy feelings. There's just reputations that are ruined. Sacrifices that are made. And they do it and they show up for the cause of Christ because they love God. There's something we can glean from that kind of Christmas this year. For those of us comfortable in our faith, how God can challenge us. So let's look to this passage in this unpack and let's grapple with the nature of a biblical framework of love apart from the sentiment that usually that's attached to it so this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the holy spirit The nativity begins <laughs> What scandal. Can you imagine your fiance coming to you and saying, right, you know, I'm not going to pick anyone because that would be weird, but hey, honey, I'm pregnant. God gave me this child. <laughs> In a world of empirical evidence and scientific evidence, I mean, what, what was Joseph thinking when Mary said, I'm pregnant? I knew it. I knew, I knew she had an eye for that guy, Bob, in town. That guy, Bob, I, used to, I hate that guy. I can't believe he did this. Mary's like, no, it was God. And Joseph's like, yeah, okay. Mary, you, you, uh, you don't need to lie to me. Joseph didn't believe that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Because if you read it like that, oh yeah, Mary said, I'm pregnant, and Joseph says, oh, praise the Lord. (laughs) If you read the passage like that, that's really illogical. That's not what happened. I mean, every time in every suburb, there is a nativity scene going on where everybody's like, Joseph and Mary, they're happy, and the baby. Doing God's will, doing God's work. It wasn't like that. Can you imagine the distance? between Mary's confession, that walk to Joseph. Imagine the excruciating eternity she grappled with before she knew she knew in her heart that it wasn't anything she did in scandal, but it will appear like scandal no matter what. That's why Jesus was never respected, Joseph was never respected, They would call Jesus a bastard child for all his life. Isn't that that the one from Nazareth? That bastard child? Are they calling him Messiah? That's why people scoffed at Jesus being the Messiah. How could that kind of sham marriage, that kind of scandal bring Emmanuel? That doesn't make any sense. The weight on, on Mary, the weight on Joseph, And if you read the text clearly, it says because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose. You see that key word? Yet. The penny was going to drop no matter what. The conspiracy, the scandal was not going to go away. There was no way out of it culturally. If teen pregnancies have any type of stigma today, it was 2,000 times worse 2,000 years ago did not want to yet expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, Joseph was a man of God. If we read the the genealogy of Joseph, his father, grand-grand-grandfather, was David. A man known after what? A, A man after God's own what? Heart. And you see here the lineage of the spiritual lineage, the legacy, that David's line had the same heart. Joseph was a man after God's heart too. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Only the supernatural bailed out Mary. And And she will give a birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And because Joseph was a man after God's heart, but forever he would be known as that guy in Nazareth. (laughs) That guy. He couldn't even keep his wife in check. In the Middle Eastern culture, all you have is your name. That's why he was a carpenter. He couldn't do anything else. I mean, come on. Do you really think someone in the line succession of david's throne would be just a carpenter he would be respected and revered by everyone why was he so non respected because of this scandal so here's the question i want you to answer and ask yourself why did god ask him to do this what if god asked you to do this Ladies, we have some couples in our church. Now, thank God the New Testament is over and salvation history is over, but just hypothetically, you'd be like, no, God. I know everyone here would be like, nope. Do with you, the other couple, God, they're holier than us. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Uh, God, maybe, maybe that couple. They look, they, they look really holy when they pray together. <laughs> Why, why, did God, why, why did God have the audacity to ask them to do this? Because if you look at it from a Jewish, if you really view this from a Jewish perspective, every day people are going to the temple. Every day they're reading the Torah. To love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. In the Jewish lens, people confess their love for God. God confessing his love for them is a new thing in Jesus out of the millions of people that confess they love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, Mary and Joseph actually meant it when they worshipped. God asked them to carry a burden so heavy, no one in human history probably could carry because they really loved God. How many people want to love God like that? I do. I want that. And I, I never understood this about love. You guys ever watch movies when the protagonist is in trouble? And, you know, like Liam Nielsen, you know, he, it, when, he, when he goes to, like, attack the terrorist or something like that, his life might be at risk. And they always ask their closest friend, closest family friend, if anything happens to me, please take care of my daughter. You You guys, you know what I'm talking about? Right? Please take care of my son. Please. And then always, their friend or family member goes, oh, I can't believe you asked me that. You trust me with that? And they're touched. And they're like crying, of course. I remember your daughter. I remember your son. Well, that's another mouth to feed. And I'm just like, I was just sitting there with, I seeing my kids and then having a third one, and I'm just going, is that person saying thank you for all this responsibility? <laughs> it's like you ask the closest person to you to take care of the greatest burden you have in your life if I don't come back, if I die. What is the correlation between that? The correlation between responsibility and love? My wife and I were talking about this as we're now getting up there in age. You know? Though we look 20 still. Okay, delusion. But, um, you know, we have life insurance, couple life insurance, we have this, we have, you know, uh, different things just in case. But my wife and I talked about if we both tragically Something happened to us. Who would we want to watch after our kids? Well, I mean, I mean, Nathan—he's like a grown man. He went to puberty when he was ten. So, I mean, but like what, um, Josh? You know, Josh is still a baby. You know. My wife was like, I don't know. That's a hard. Who could you give dad responsibility to? They're in this room. I told my wife, you know, I know Nathan ran away last year, and he thinks he's gangster for some reason when he's a kid from the suburbs. But if I could hold that responsibility to anyone to watch our baby. And he, and he was 11. I said, Nath- I, I would choose Nathan to look after his brother put up a trust, and until he's of age, you have the house, you have this, let him take it. My wife's like, are you sure? You know, he ran away last year. I said, you know, I know in my heart that this responsibility, in the deepest part of him, He will do it the best. He'll do the best job because he actually loves his brother. And then we told him that. And he got up from the kitchen table. Dad, thank you. And he was touched by it. And he knew he could do it. And that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is not doesn't begin with the Messiah it begins with a couple who followed after the heart of God who said yes to a burdensome call out of their fierce love for God God gave them the responsibility because they actually loved God and each other And that's why people are bored at church. I mean, all the people that serve, they're not bored because they're always serving. But people are bored at church because all you have to do is show up and sit in a comfortable leather chair, (laughs) which it reclines if you wanted to. In Christianity for Christmas, for some odd reason, it's become a spectator sport. People thought Christmas is all about, oh, Jesus, baby Jesus. Baby, baby Jesus, coming to me. Just like Baby Yoda. Man, it's like a Baby Yoda. New York Times wrote about it recently. Oh, yo, that's Christmas. It's Baby Jesus. No, it's about a, a community rising up from the darkness, the, the darkest hour in history, and saying yes to the call of God. Because in the end, there are no warm, fuzzy feelings, affectionate feelings in a nativity. People showed up. Amen? So what's, what's love like then from a biblical framework? First, love is a what? We did a fierce commitment to the other even at what? Great cost or lost or both. There's a swag, a hardness, a tenacity to love. Without that, nothing can happen. Without that, no adventure, no epic tale can happen, can be accomplished. A a fierce, a tenacious love is a commitment of showing up no matter what the cost is or responsibility is. And that's why, people, don't let Joseph be a footnote in human history. Joseph is a sexy man of God. Don't look at the animals in the nativity scene. No, look at Joseph. He is Ryan Gosling in The Notebook and La La Land. Why Ryan Gosling is famous is because he shows up in those scenes. And that's the calling that God is calling us to, to show up for the cause of Christ. If you worship and you sing these songs, if we sing these songs about our love for God, and there is no action that is infatuation with God, it is not love for God. This Christmas, why do you Get gifts on the day of Jesus' birth. What is that about? Why is everybody, I mean, this is not an Oprah show. You get a gift, I get a gift, everybody gets a gift, my dog gets a gift. What about Jesus' gift? It's his birthday. What happened? The party was hijacked from the original intent of what happened in the nativity. What is, what is your gift for Jesus going to be? I honestly believe Christmas has become too comfortable. What if God is calling you to do something epic for the cause of the kingdom like Mary and Joseph? That becomes our gift to Jesus on his birthday. Amen? All right, secondly, all this took place with what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So let me me ask you this question. Why did God send a baby? How is a baby Going to save the world. Can your baby save the world? Maybe baby Yoda can, and that's why we love him. Baby Yoda is so cute. I'm infatuated with baby Yoda. I saw the New York Times. I was like, oh, baby Yoda. Nathan comes up, baby Yoda is so cute, dad, right? Baby Yoda. The New York Times talked about people worshiping baby Yoda. Because, I mean, the truth is, Baby Yoda is Emmanuel in this, the, you know, Star Wars universe. He is the, the, you know, Jedi Master. He's going to raise up the Resistance. He literally is God. He's 50, but he's cooing right now in the show. I mean, but, but how is a baby? You, did you ever feel, I mean, I remember my kids, now they're gross, but uh, when they were babies, their bottom, my God. I mean, you know what comes out of there, but you could put your face there. It's really soft. i I, I never done that. No, never. Ever. Seriously, never done that. But there, there's something about the softness of a baby. And even the tenderness of romance. Like, you know, before Shakespeare in, in the 15th century, you know, all romance... Before a construct where women actually had the rights to, to their own state or their own choices, was all about conquest. You marry the most powerful. You marry in. It was, it was you know all all about arranged marriage. You know, marriage wasn't really about romance. It was a contract of how many cows you're going to sell your daughter for. I know it's transactional, but it was. But until. You know, Shakespearean language where, you know, men couldn't win a woman's heart through war. Even though that, that could be sexy, like the like, you know, gladiator and stuff like that. But when you wanted to win a woman's heart, because Europe began Shakespeare and sonnets and poems and the Beatles and the music. I mean, there's something about the tenderness of wooing a woman's heart. I mean, I am not want to be sexy, so a woman could do that too. In our church, that's actually what happens usually. But um, it's the 21st century. It's okay. I mean, but but there's a a tenderness. So so in the beginning, we see the, the tenacity of Mary and Joseph. But then in the incarnation, in Jesus, we see another aspect of love. Not the hardness of love. But in the incarnation, in the baby Jesus, we see a tenderness of love, a tender side of love. And that was going to be God's hope, the changing the world. It's going to be his kindness. It was going to be his pursuit of humanity through love and not through power. And you see that there. That Jesus dies on the cross, exposed, vulnerable, susceptible to pain and hurt. You know, Nathan said to me the other week, Dad... You know, I notice your voice changes when you talk to people in public and to us at home. What do you mean, my son? <laughs> well, when you're speaking in public, your voice is sort of like this, and, you know, your, your voice is a little deeper. I'm like, no, my voice is the same, bro. No, 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 your voice is like there's a public voice and an inner home voice. No, there isn't. And then I actually went back and tried to listen to the recordings at home. And I'm like, hey guys. <laughs> <clears throat> Why is that? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. Because there, there is a vulnerability, there's a softness to how you love your kids as a father. And I don't even know I'm doing it. But when I listen to the video, oh my gosh, I would be in Paris if that was my dad. It's so soft. I'm like, Josh, Josh, I'm like, what? That's a beautiful sweater. I mean, you know like how parents do that sometimes, embarrassing, I become my own dad. But there's a tenderness I mean, people even said this when I used to began dating my wife. You know, I had this voice at school, yo, what up, man? And then when I picked up, my wife called, I'm like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 hey. It's like, where's that coming from? Because tenderness, the tenderness. The second part of love that changes the world in, in, in the incarnation, in Jesus, is this lesson we learned about love. Love requires what? A vulnerability you rather avoid, but what? Must courageously embrace. Because sometimes it's much easier to be angry at your kids. I'll tell you, I like being angry at my kids. And lecture, I'm good at lectures. Really good at them. Right? You don't get a doctor if you're not going to lecture your kids well. It's like, listen, man. I'm a genius. I know what I'm talking about. Listen to me, because you know they could be like, "You don't know what you're talking about." Shut up. Sit down. But that's easier to use your credentials, to use your education. What is difficult in parenting? What is difficult in any relationship? Is being vulnerable to being tender. Why? Because when you're tender, you can be hurt. You're susceptible to rejection. But the truth is, in in the incarnation, what we see is the only way to win the human heart. And that's why there are two billion followers of Christ. And it happened 2,000 years ago. Because the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Love requires a vulnerability we rather avoid but must courageously embrace. That's what Jesus does in the incarnation. He's committed to becoming susceptible to pain as an infant and a human being. None of us in this room could accuse God of not being able to understand where we live where we are broken, where we're broken, where we're in despair or we're in pain or depressed or lonely because Jesus in the incarnation experienced all of that. And the softness of God, the tenderness of God wins us over and wins our heart. So there's a hardness to love, but there's also a softness to love, a tenderness to love. So if you want to demonstrate the love of God this Christmas, rather than giving gifts to people, be like, oh, yo, look at this gift. I give to a spa. No, tell people, your family, your friends, your husband, your significant other, about how you really feel about them. How to the point you might cry. You're like, no! I just try to stick to the $100 gifts, because that's easier. No. Tell a friend how you feel about them. Really feel. To a to a point where they go, stop being so mushy. Because let me tell you right now, if I could count the moments of my life that I would count in my hand that are dear to me, are those times where someone exposed their heart and they were the most difficult to say and they're the worth the most to me in my life, that changed me the most, informed me the most to become like Christ. Amen? That's what Christmas is about. So I think the truth is our Christmas has become too comfortable. I want to pray today that That God would call you to something dangerous and epic for his kingdom. That's what Christmas is, and that's what our gift to Christmas, to Jesus, should be. But also, I think there's a softness to Christmas in the incarnation of Jesus, as the baby Jesus. Where the softness of God has to come out of us, too, to our friends and family, to represent God well. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. So let me ask you a question 180, our community. As you grow into comfort that only New York and this country could bring you, as you rise up in your stature as physicians and chefs and bankers and other professions, engineers, we have a lot of those, And you and you grow your assets. How will you growing that comfortable give back to Jesus on his on the day of his birth? Because that's what I see today. I, what I see is People treating Christmas in Christianity like it's just a part of their life. When it requires everything. So I want to pray right now if our Christianity has become too safe. Our Christmas has become too safe. Will you lift your hands with me today? And I want you to pray for God to speak to you through this nativity scene. What is God calling you to answer? How would you worship Him as your life becomes more comfortable when love requires sacrifice? I mean, is is Christmas just going to be about, like, skiing and, like, Christmas trees and like eggnog. I mean, I like that stuff. I really do. But like, you know, a couple gave their whole lives, risked everything for salvation to come in a baby, in an incarnation. How could we celebrate Christmas every season, or Christianity for that matter, as that is the sentiment of it, as that's the heart of it? I pray in the future as you have children and having children (laughs) that your Christmas would look very different. That you would become the light of the world. You would represent the incarnation, its fullness. Will you pray that right now? God, I pray right now that you would use us in Christmas To represent you. Not. Be just. Consumed with insularity and comfort. But yet some discomfort for the cause of the kingdom. Reaching out to a friend who needs Jesus. Praying for someone. Writing letters of love representing God's love. I pray that that become Christmas for us. Father, we come before you as we enter Christmas this week in New Year's. Father, I pray that we would think about and reflect about our gift to you this year. Your gift was already given 2,000 years ago when you laid down your life. Constraint as a human being in the incarnation, susceptible to pain, and you endured every single vulnerability, every single ache in the human experience. And it's true, you cannot be the savior of humanity if you don't understand the pain of humanity. We thank you for showing us the softness of love and the hardness of love. We pray, God, that we would step out and represent you well during the season to our family, to our friends, and to the city to show them who you are through us. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, Amen. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Go in peace.
1: everyone we just have some community news for you as we end our podcast today we want to invite you to join us for our sunday service we meet at the amc lowes theater at 19th and broadway in manhattan at 12 noon and we'd love to see you guys there we also have a prayer text hotline where you can send your prayer requests it's available at 5397 prayer and at prayer at 180church.tv in the midst of life if you need prayer our team is available to lift you up in your struggles and we're always there for you You can check out our Bible reading group online at 180brg.tumblr.com and on Instagram as well at 180brg. And it's a great resource for being grounded in God's Word and really plugging God's Word into our daily lives. You can also find us online through our Instagram page at 180church and our church website at 180church.tv. And lastly, if you'd like to make an offering, you can do so electronically at our website at 180church.tv.